Welcome to How to Catholic with Kevin and Lisa Cotter, a podcast dedicated to helping you practically live your Catholic faith with excellence. liturgical lowdown for the merry month of may i'm your host lisa cotter and in this episode i will be giving you insights histories and ideas on how to celebrate and integrate the liturgical life of the catholic church into your own life this month if this is your first time listening in on a liturgical lowdown scroll back to season four episode four how to liturgical living and give it a listen to get the most out of this episode thanks for joining me Let's get started. Happy springtime to you all. Happy May. It's the month of May almost, which means it is time for the month of May liturgical lowdown. I'm very excited to share with you all that is going on this month and here in the year 2019. It's a month that is filled with Easter season, which is a lot of fun, but we're not going to be focusing on Easter. We're going to be focusing on all the feast days that are going on. So yes, you are going to hear some holes. You're going to go, wait, when's the ascension? Why didn't you talk about that? Yes, that happens this month, but I am saving that for a different podcast. If you want to hear ideas on Easter-specific, go to Season 1, Episode 20, which is How to Easter. There we talk about all the things that are going on during the liturgical season of Easter, but here we just talk about what's going on in May because those dates change every year, those movable feasts based upon when Easter is. So let's dive into just what's going on in the month of May. Starting off, this month's devotion in May is to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So yes, in our church, we have a different monthly devotion for each month, and here it is to Mary. And this is maybe one of the more known monthly devotions, that in October, which is the month of the Holy Rosary. So if you knew that, gold star to you. So why May? Why is May to the Blessed Virgin Mary? Well, originally, this devotion started in Rome in the 18th century, and it was established to counter immorality among college students in Rome. So this was declared because the college students were getting a little crazy, and it spread to the rest of the church slowly over time, and now it is just kind of a standard thing. Month of May, Mary. A lot of times we think, oh, it's because it's Mother's Day, which is cute, but not reality. Mother's Day actually was created later. It was created in 1908 by a woman named Anna Jarvis, and it became an official holiday in 1914. So, you know, it came after. But it's still fitting that these two things collide. So we can still kind of remember our Mother Mary, Heavenly Mother Mary, as we remember our earthly mothers on Mother's Day this month. So some ways to celebrate and meditate on this month would be prayers, lots of prayer options here, lots of great prayers for the intercession of Mary. There's, of course, the rosary, a great month to pray the rosary. If that's not a practice that you currently have, this would be a good time to try to integrate that. Hail Marys, even just praying a Hail Mary or Hail Holy Queen, which are part of the rosaries. Uh, You could also, if you've not before, learn the Hail Holy Queen in Latin, which is the Salve Regina. So I will link to that. That is a great Latin prayer to know if you've never memorized it. You could also challenge yourself to memorize the Memorari if you don't know that. Or if you're like, Lisa, I've got all those, 
more of an outlier Marian prayer, but still very important one, is the Regina Chaley, which is said in place of the Angelus during the Easter season. So I will link to those prayers, and you could maybe commit yourself to memorizing one new Marian prayer during this month. There are lots of books that I'm going to link to on Mary that you can read with kiddos. And for adults, I would suggest Walking with Mary, which is a book by Dr. Edward Shree. Great book. That's a, it's kind of a biblical journey through the uh, Gospels with Mary. What are those stories about? Gives you a deeper insight into them. And then there are two papal documents that would be great to read this month. One is called um, Mense Mayo, um, which I'm assuming is Latin, but it's basically on the month of May. It's a whole encyclical that Pope Paul the fifth, fourth, no, one of the Pauls. It was written in 1965. There you go. Um, and it's uh, an encyclical on the Mary in the month of May, um, subtitled Mary, uh, Prayers During May for Preservation of Peace. So some prayers for May, learn about Mary. There you go. It's all there. Also, there is the document by Pope John Paul II, written in 1987, Redemptress Mater, which is on the Blessed Virgin Mary and the life of the Pilgrim Church. So two great church documents you could read this month on Mary. And then finally, I'm going to link to a movie on Mary. This is a series I don't think that I have shared before, but it is free on Amazon. It's called Stories of Saints for Kids. Free on Amazon Prime. And the the stories, okay, so they're not amazing. <laughs> they're not like, wow, that's really well done. But they're really deeply theological. So it's these two kids, and they have their uncle, Uncle Francis, who comes to their house. Every episode's the same. It starts off with the kids at home talking to their mom or dad, and then Uncle Francis comes over to tell them a story about a saint. And so this one is about Mary. So he tells them the story of Mary. And it's funny because it's, it's so... Um, it's so theological, like he'll be like, well, we don't know a whole lot about Mary, so what I'm going to share with you comes from the Apocrypha. And you're like, yes, because most four-year-olds are going to understand that. So it's really it's really deep in its theology and for, for the level that it's reaching. But you'll learn a lot if you watch them, too. And they're free on Amazon, so check them out. I haven't seen all of them, so, um, you know, at your discretion. Okay, activities. Some activities to do during this month of May. Two things I want to point out. One, this is a great time to make a merry garden, and it's a great month to do a May crowning. So, first of all, what's a merry garden? A merry garden is a garden that's dedicated to Mary. So it has a statue of Mary. Maybe there's some garden stepping stones that you can make, and you can put different um, like glass beads or shards in it to make Marian symbols, like a, a rosary with different little glass beads or. If you're Delise, um, I will actually link to a stepping stone that has a uh, Fjord Elise, um like template for you. So you can make one of those to put in your Marian gardens. Uh, you could also use just rocks to mark off a rosary in the midst of your garden. You can put a cross in your garden. And then, of course, you can put Marian flowers in your Mary garden. There are many, many flowers that are named after Mary. A lot of the traditional names of the flowers that are named after Mary have been lost. The only one that is really commonly known now is the marigold, so Mary's gold. But I will link to a website that shows you all the different flowers that are associated with Mary and dedicated to Mary. So you could set up a little Marian garden in your yard if you have never done so. Second thing is once you've got your Marian garden, 
you got to crown Mary. And that's what we do at our May crowning. So this can be done on any day during May, but May 1st is the more traditional day to do it. And May 1st is actually a very complicated day tradition-wise. So we're going to come back to that. But for now, let's just talk about May crownings. So a May crowning doesn't have to be complicated, unlike the day itself, which we'll get to. All you need really is a statue of Mary and a crown. And as a bonus, you can have some fresh flowers, not flesh flowers, fresh flowers added just to add some beauty. So basically what you do is you pick a child who's going to crown Mary. And traditionally you choose a recent first communicant. And then all the other kids can be given flowers to place at Mary's feet during this this May crowning. So for the crowning, uh, traditionally you would have some kind of a procession. So you could start inside if you're doing this at home or if you're doing it at a church, you could start inside and do a procession outside to Mary while singing a Marian hymn. And then when you arrive at the statue, the kids can leave their flowers at the foot of Mary. And then you could read a Marian passage from the gospel. And if there's a priest there, he could give a quick little reflection or homily, or even just mom or dad could kind of explain what the passage meant and, and a little more about Mary and why we're going to crown her as the queen of our home and the queen of our hearts. And then whoever you've chosen to crown Mary would just put the little floral flower crown on Mary. And you could say a nice closing prayer, such as even just a Hail Mary or a Memorari or something like that. So it's, it can be really simple. Now, there's obviously particular liturgies that you could use, but I think those need to be more sanctioned by, you know, a priest or a deacon doing the actual like traditional liturgies. Um, there may be some liturgies for home. I haven't researched enough to find any. We just always keep it very simple and just kind of a family tradition when we do a May crowning. So afterwards, if you want to go the extra mile, this would be a nice time to have a Marian treat or even a whole feast to Mary, maybe a nice dinner. Uh, you could also do a craft or throw up some blue balloons and streamers, whatever you want to make it a nice, festive, memorable day. So like I said, it doesn't have to be complicated. Years ago, I actually used to be the family liaison for Focus, which meant I was in charge of kind of uniting our families. And I would organize a yearly May crowning for the Focus office. And it was always just very simple. I brought flowers. I brought a crown. And we put Mary out in this little like garado-y looking area in the parking lot, which kind of sounds weird, but... It just happened to be there. So we'd put a pedestal out there and we would process Mary out and crown her and do a blessing. So pretty simple. So that is your May crowning. And I will also link in the show notes some examples of other May crownings that people have done to give you some ideas and kind of some tutorials to help you map out a May crowning if you would like to do one. Next up is the Pope's monthly intention for this month of May, and it is for the church in Africa, a seed of unity. The Pope says to please pray that the church of Africa, through the commitment of its members, may be the seed of unity among her peoples and a sign of hope for this continent. So some activities that you could do this month as you're praying for the church in Africa. One would be to put the intention on a whiteboard or a letterboard or a chalkboard or any kind of a board and place it at your home prayer space slash altar. And the second thing I thought of that I think is really eye-opening and helpful in understanding the church in Africa is to follow, oh, oh gosh, I'm going to, okay, I can do it. Obianaju. <laughs> I can't say it as well as others. Um, 
Yeah. Obi Anaju. Ekocha. Ekocha. This is horrible. It's a beautiful name. I have no idea to pronounce it, but it's spelled O-B-I-A-N-U-J-U. Obianaju, I think is how you say it. Ikocha. Yeah. Okay. That's the best I can do. I'm sorry. Anyways, you can follow her. She is a pro-life advocate for Africa, and she just is a warrior and goes to battle all the time for the pro-life movement in Africa. So follow her. You'll learn a lot about what is going on in the Church of Africa from her. Okay, so before we dive into our feast days, I want to point out here that um, I recently set up an Amazon page with my favorite things on it. So it's called My Favorite Things on Amazon or How to Catholics Favorite Things on Amazon. So what I will do is I'm going to be linking to or talking about a lot of different products, and I will put them all on one page, so all on one little spot on Amazon where you can go and it just gives you a picture like it's like a big grid of all the different products I'm talking about. So if you want to find something I'm talking about, you just click on it and then you can easily purchase it. So that link will be in the show notes. I'll also do the individual links in the show notes as I talk about each product or each idea, whatever it is in the show notes. But you can also access it through my bio on Instagram. If you click on that, then you can click on the link to my favorite things in Amazon and just all these products are in one spot, making it really simple. So that's another thing I've been doing for these liturgical lowdowns and I hope you find it to be helpful. So don't stress out about writing a bunch of stuff down. It'll be in the show notes or on my Amazon page. Okay, here we go. Feast for this month. Okay, we're going to start with May 1st, which is the crazy day. Like I said, it's complicated because there's a lot of history behind this day. So let's start by going way back to Pagan Rome. That's where the May festivals began. So it was in Pagan Rome around May 1st. They had a festival to Flora, who is the goddess of flowers. And that kind of morphed into this celebration of Aphrodite, who's the goddess associated with love and fertility. And when we think of springtime, we think of, you know, bunnies who reproduce frequently and having fertile crops and all those kinds of things. So that's what was going on there in pagan time. Now, in modern times, for most of us living in the United States of America, when we think of May Day, we think of this as a springtime celebration. It's the day where we put May baskets on our neighbor's doors filled with flowers and little treats. It's dancing around May poles. It's crowning a May queen, kind of these older traditions of celebrating the springtime. Now, that's the springtime side of May Day, but for most of the world, May 1st, when they think of May 1st, it's more thought of as a Labor Day. And the weird thing about this is that the origins of this Labor Day actually come from the United States, but we don't really celebrate it or recognize it, at least not as strongly as we do the springtime version of May Day. So I'm going to paraphrase Wikipedia here, which is where I did a lot of my research. Um, I had to do a lot of research to try to get this straight in my head, so I hope this makes sense. So in the late 19th century... May Day was chosen as the date for International Workers' Day by this socialist and communist group called Second International. Now, this group um, chose this day to commemorate the Hay Market Affair that happened in Chicago on May 4th, 1886. So the Hay Market Affair is this event that started out as a peaceful rally in support of workers striking for an eight-hour workday. So they were being overworked, and they said, listen, we deserve to not be, you know, worked to death. So they were striking for it, and it ended up in this um, riot, 
with seven police officers dying and four civilians dying. So in 1891, to commemorate that day, Second International, this socialist communist group said, okay, we're going to have the first International Workers' Day on May 1st in 1891. Now, what's interesting about this Second International Group is it's also the group that later then declared in 1910 the first International Women's Day, which is on March 8th. So this group, International Workers' Day, is established, and it's it's sometimes it's referred to May Day, but it's a different celebration of the traditional May Day. So we have traditional May Day springtime, and we have this Workers' Day, which pretty much all of Africa, South America, parts of Asia, and Europe, for all of them, May 1st is Labor Day. It's, it's the celebration of this International Workers' Day. So we've got these two festivities going on, and, and this is where we start talking about what does this have to do with the liturgy? Okay, so May 1st on the liturgical calendar is the optional memorial of St. Joseph the Worker. Now, this was declared in 1955 by Pope Pius Twelfth, and it was a counterpoint to the Communist and Socialist International Workers' Day celebration on May Day. So Pope Pius XII, he declared this day to highlight the dignity of work and to give laborers a model and a protector in St. Joseph. Okay, so obviously there's some big holes in this timeline here. If you're listening, you're like, wait a minute, what's wrong with people fighting for labor laws? <laughs> and, you know, like, how how is this a bad thing? But we have to remember that this second international group is a socialist and communist group, and this was declared in 1955. So they're associated with all that's going on with communism and the Soviet Union and the Cold War and all these things that Pope Pius Twelfth is counteracting, not, you know, this Bernie Sanders version of socialism that we see around in the states today. Clear? Okay. I hope that kind of makes sense and ties together why this St. Joseph the Worker, why this International Worker Day, what does all this have to do with May Day? Okay, so the Feast of St. Joseph the Worker, like I said, May 1st, which is also May Day when we have our May crowning. So, I mean, I'm telling you, this is just a crazy day. So this, this day is the second of two St. Joseph feast days, and it's the lesser one. So we have the Solemnity of St. Joseph on March 19th, which is the all-out feast. And then we have this um, celebration of St. Joseph the Worker. Now, because March is the month of St. Joseph and that feast is on the 19th, I've already gone through all of my ideas for books, movies, things for St. Joseph. But I will still put those links in the show notes if you want to quickly access and find St. Joseph ideas and things. But I will point out one additional thing that was not in the March liturgical lowdown, and that is a recipe that is specific for St. Joseph the Worker. It's a pasta recipe recipe. It comes from High Cookery, so hicookery.com. And they're a married couple who post about traditional recipes, not just for feast days, but also for secular celebrations. So it's kind of a fun website to poke around on. So, for example, uh, National Truffles Day, which is on May 2nd, they have a recipe there for them. And they have this cooking the calendar link so you can quickly access all the different recipes based upon days of the year, and they do several feast days mixed in there. So I will link to that in the show notes. You can find their St. Joseph the Worker pasta recipe from highcookery.com. Moving on, May 13th. Let's go to May 13th. It is the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima, which is an optional memorial. Now, this Feast of Our Lady of Fatima commemorates the appearance of Our Lady to three shepherd children just over 100 years ago in Fatima in Portugal. 
Now it was here that Our Lady appeared to Lucia, Francisco, and Jacinta on the 13th of each month from May to October. And at her final visit, there was this great rain, and then Our Lady appeared, and the rain stopped, and the sun danced, and everything dried up instantly. So it's hopefully a story you're somewhat familiar with. If you don't know the full story, it is a must-read it is something you definitely need to know about Our Lady of Fatima. And if you can, put it on your Catholic bucket list to one day go to Fatima. It is one of the approved Marian apparition sites by the church. So a prayer for you here. Um, I'm going to link to the prayer of reparation, which is a prayer that was given by the angel who first came to uh, the children at Fatima. So an angel also appeared to them. And then later Mary appeared to them. So um, the prayer there, I will link to that prayer. And there are several movies on Fatima. There's the traditional 1952, The Miracle of Our Lady of Fatima, which I'll link to. And then there's The 13th Day, which was done in 2009. So it's a more recent version um, or recent movie on Our Lady of Fatima, which was kind of in preparation for the 100-year anniversary, which happened, I believe, 2017, because Fatima happened in 1917. And then there's also the traditional The Day the Sun Danced kid cartoon one that I watched when I was a kid in uh, CCD. So I'll link to that one as well. There are also two audio versions of the story you can get. Uh, Secrets from Heaven, The Children of Fatima by Glory Stories, and Quiet Waters in their Truth to Inspire series also has a audio story on Our Lady of Fatima that I'll link to. And there are a couple of chapter books and a coloring book that I will link to. And for food for this day, any Portuguese dish would definitely be fitting or any sun-related treats. You could make a cupcake and put a sun on top of it. It doesn't have to be complicated. And there's a fun little craft that Catholic Icing did. It's a miracle, the sun spinner craft. You just take like a piece of cardboard and some string and you make a, a spinning sun. So that's a cool, simple thing you could do. Also on May 13th, there's another optional memorial going on, and that is the Memorial of Blessed Imelda Lambertini. She is an Italian saint who was born in Italy in 1322. She died at a really young age. She was around 10 or 11, and uh, she died of, uh, get this, she died of happiness, See, Imelda, she was always a very pious little girl. At the age of five, she begged to receive her first communion. But at the time, you had to be 14 before you could receive communion. So when she was nine, after begging her parents to let her go live with the Dominican nuns, uh, she was at Mass praying, Lord, I really want to receive you in communion. And it was May 12, 1333, which was that day of the Feast of the Ascension. And Jesus came to her in the form of the Eucharistic host and settled floating right above her. And so somebody saw this, pointed it out to the priest, and the priest came and saw it as a sign that it was okay for Imelda to have her first communion. So he gave her the host, and she had her first communion. And then she just kneeled there for hours and hours praying. And when they came back to get her, they thought, you know, okay, she's been there long enough. It's time to go. They, everybody had left. She was in there by herself, I presume. They came over and they tapped her to say, okay, Melda, it's time to eat or something. And she just collapsed over dead. So she died of happiness. She finally got the one thing that she had wanted, and that was Jesus in the Eucharist. Don't you just love being Catholic? We've got the greatest stories. So Blessed Imelda is the patroness of first communicants. Very fitting. I will link to a prayer through the intercession of 
Blessed Imelda. There are also a couple of books on her. There's a chapter book and a coloring book on Blessed Imelda. There's an audio story from Glory Stories stories on her and this would be a fun day to make pasta bolognese which is uh, a pasta Italian pasta dish which originated in Bologna which is where Blessed Imelda was born and lived. Next we've got May 22nd which is the optional memorial to Saint Rita. Saint Rita is another Italian saint. She was born in 1381 and died in 1457. And she is the saint of impossible causes because her life was nearly impossible. She was forced into marriage around the age of 12 to a mobster from a noble family. And this mobster's family was in a feud with another noble family. But through her love and example, her husband eventually renounced his mobster lifestyle and converted. They had two kids together and... There's so much more to this story, but I don't want to tell you because it's that good. I just want you to go and watch the St. Rita movie. It is the stuff the Hollywood movies are made of, just the twists and turns and everything that goes into it. So if you don't know the story of St. Rita already, I'm not going to tell it to you. You're going to go watch the movie. I will link to it. And I will also link to a daily prayer to St. Rita. If you've got an impossible cause in your life, pray to her. She saw it all. And I'll also link to a My Catholic Family St. Rita, which is a kids, EWTN kids version. And a treat, well, it's not really a treat, a recipe for the Feast of St. Rita, which is Empanadas de Santa Rita, which I'm looking at this now and I'm thinking she's Italian and we're going to make Spanish empanadas. I don't know why, but uh, that's what it is. They're empanadas of St. Rita. So I'll link to those. Finally, well, not finally, two more. Next one is May 30th. St. Joan of Arc, another optional memorial. There's a lot of really good optional optional memorials in May. So you're likely familiar with St. Joan of Arc. She was born into a peasant family around 1412. Okay, this is interesting too. They're all like close in the, the years, like all within 100 years of each other too here. So, okay, Joan of Arc, 1412 in France this time. We've been in Italy, now we're in France. And she was born during the Hundred Years' War. And so in her uh, youth many different saints appeared to her, including St. Michael the Archangel, St. Margaret, and St. Catherine of Alexandria. And they all instructed her to support Charles VII, who at the time was not King Charles VII. He was the uncrowned King of France because of the war in which England was dominating um, France, had taken them over. And so they said, hey, go help Charles VII win back France. So long story short, she did. She led France in battles and won, and then Charles was crowned the king. So she helped her country of France gain back its independence. However, in 1430, she was captured by some pro-English French nobles, and there was a pro-English bishop who was working with them, and they charged Joan as a heretic, and she was found guilty and burned at the stake on May 30th. 1431, around the age of 19. So, kind of a crazy story because then 25 years later, which is really not that long when you think about the history of the world, in 1456, the trial was reviewed by Pope Calixtus III, and he declared her to be innocent of her heretic ways that were previously 
the results of her burning at the stake, so he declared her a martyr. But it wasn't until 1909, don't know why it took so long, until 1909 that she was beatified, and then in 1920 she was canonized, and to this day, the world at large is intrigued by her. So I will link to a prayer, lots of prayers actually, to Joan of Arc, the Litany, the Novena, all of it. And there's lots of great books for uh, kids. There's a graphic novel, chapter books, picture books. I'll link to those. There's the audio story of Glory Stories. They hit all the May. Glory Stories hit all the May ones here. Audio story of Joan of Arc. And there are a couple of movies. The first one of No is uh, from 1928. It's a silent film. It's The Passion of Joan of Arc. And it has a crazy history, too. The original film got burned in a fire. And then, like, the second one got burned in a fire. And then... Not too long ago, I want to say like in the 80s, we found like the whole thing that had been missing in like an asylum or something, something really weird. They ended up finding it and they were like, oh my gosh, this is the passion of Joan of Arc, all the missing pieces. So anyways, now you can see pretty much the whole movie. I think there might be some pieces that were still missing, but pretty much the whole movie. And it's, it's really like a piece of history to watch this passion of Joan of Arc silent film version. And then there's Joan of Arc from 2001, the one with Lily Sobieski and Doogie Hauser, also known as Neil Patrick Harris. You can watch that one. I've never seen that one, um, but it's more the modern day version of Joan of Arc. And then online for free, it's more of a secular one, but they use the Catholic culture behind it. There's an animated heroes classics of Joan of Arc. I will link to that. That's one you can get for free. Um, for food for this day, if you want to celebrate, you just eat French food. It's really simple. May 31st, Feast of the Visitation, our last feast day for this month that we're going to deep dive into. This is the day in which we celebrate Mary going to visit her cousin Elizabeth, who at the time was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. So this is obviously from the Gospels, and this feast day dates all the way back to 1263 when it was first recorded as being celebrated by the Franciscan Order. And the date of this feast at the time was actually originally July 2nd, but it's since been moved to May 31st. First. So the reason for the movement was so that it would fall between the Annunciation, which is on March 25th, and the birth of John the Baptist on June 24th. So chronologically, it makes more sense to have it at May 31st instead of July 2nd, which is like right after the celebration of the birth of John the Baptist. So in searching for traditions, I was having a hard time finding anything, which is kind of odd because this is a really old feast day and usually there's all kinds of things tied with it. But then I realized that these traditions would more likely be on July 2nd, not May 31st, because this feast was moved not too long ago. And that's when I found a little uh, liturgical mystery, solved a liturgical mystery here. So the Palio, I talked about this last month, the Palio with Catherine of Siena. I also talked about it with the Feast of the Assumption. The Palio is that crazy horse race that goes on in honor of Mary. It happens twice in the summer in Siena where they race the horses around their square and all kinds of people come in. And I understood why the feast was on uh, or why the race was on August 16th, which is the day after the Assumption in honor of Mary. But why July 2nd? That didn't make sense until now. Now I understand because July 2nd used to be the Feast of the Visitation but it's since been moved, but they still have the Palio on July 2nd in honor of Mary. So there you go. Liturgical mystery solved. I was feeling pretty good about myself when those dots all connected. So prayer for this day would, of course, be the second joyful mystery of the rosary, which is the visitation, and then some activities. 
One would be, I'm going to link to an episode on the visitation from the National Gallery in London. It's a, it's just a YouTube clip. It's about 10 minutes long. And it looks at some art that surrounded this feast day or this, you know, th- this event, the visitation. So they look at the music of the Magnifica and then they look at two art pieces uh, whose subjects is the visitation and really kind of do some art appreciation around it. So that, that's just kind of a neat little video to watch on this day. And then I would suggest that you be like Mary on this day and go visit a pregnant friend and offer to clean her house or make her a meal or do something for your friend who is pregnant. And you can be just like Mary, especially if you're pregnant. That would be really fun if like you're newly pregnant and you have a friend who's six months pregnant and you go visit them. That would be super liturgical of you. I like that idea. That was off the top of the head, friends. All right, here we go. Last thing. Other celebrations of note this month. Those will be on May 2nd is Athanasius, who uh, it's his memorial. He was a bishop who lived from 296 to 373, and he's very revered in the Coptic Orthodox Church. On the 3rd is the Feast of the Apostles Philip and James. On the 14th is the Feast of the Apostle either pronounced Matthias or Mathathias. Either way, he is the apostle who replaced Judas after Judas betrayed Jesus. And to keep the number at 12, the apostles prayed about and decided to replace Judas with this Matthias slash Mathathias. That's his feast day. On the 15th is the optional memorial of St. Isidore the Farmer. It's an optional memorial here in the United States, but he was from Spain And he was just a holy, simple man who spent his life as a farmer. He would work the plow. And his wife is St. Maria de la Cabeza, which is St. Mary of the Head. Now, technically, she's a blessed, but the Spaniards just do what they want, and they call her St. Maria de la Cabeza. But they just, you know, technicality here. So uh, he died in 1130, and he was canonized in 1622, along with St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Francis Xavier, St. Teresa of Avila, and St. Philip Neri. So this little group here is known as the five saints in Spain. So if you talk about the five saints, those are the people. Now, Philip Neri was actually not Spanish. All the others were were Spaniards. Philip Neri is actually Italian, but he wanted to join Ignatius, who had just founded the Jesuits. But God had a different call for him, which we can talk about right now because St. Philip Neri's Feast Day, or his memorial, is on May 26th, so he's the last person we're going to talk about. He was born in 1515 and died in 1595, and he is known as the third apostle of Rome, after Peter and Paul being the first and second. And he founded the Congregation of the Oratory, which is a community of Catholic priests and lay brothers, and he was noted for his cheerfulness and his love of youth. And there's a great movie about him called St. Philip Neri, I Prefer Heaven. So that would be the other movie, St. Rita and St. Philip Neri, two great movies that I can totally recommend that you should watch at some point this month, if not on these people's actual feast days. There you have it. That's it for this liturgical lowdown. As always, the how-to challenge is to pick two things, just two things for you to do during this month to live the liturgical life of the church in your home and in your life in a more deep way. And if you do and you've got something fun to share, I'd love to hear about it on Instagram. Use that hashtag HowToCatholic. There we have it. Month of May complete. For all the links, ideas, prayers, resources, books, all those links that I shared, you can find them in the show notes at madetomagnify.com. And you can also access that Amazon page with 
all my favorite things for feast day celebrations in the month of May. Until next month, be saints. It's worth it. <laughs>